Welcome to the Generational Clash Pod, helping bridge the generational gap everywhere. The MLB is back, and it started on July 23rd with ESPN broadcasting a doubleheader that saw the New York Yankees take on defending champs, the Washington Nationals, and in the nightcap, the Dodgers versus the Giants. But a full slate of 13 games are on tap for Friday, July 24th, including my beloved Cleveland Indians, who will be sending last year's All-Star Game MVP Shane Bieber to the mound to do battle with the Kansas City Royals in their home opener at Progressive Field. And Tri-Pride is running rampant in my house right now with everyone, including my five-year-old brother, geared out in anticipation for the night opener. I'm ready. You're ready. We are all ready. The only thing missing is a Sugardale. And as sad as I was to see Kipnis go, I love the addition of Cesar Hernandez at second base. It gives the Indians four switch hitters at the top of the lineup, with him batting leadoff, Jose second, Frankie in the three-hole, and Carlos cleanup. And you gotta love the Indians pitching one through five. And you gotta believe in a shortened season, when if all goes well, you could get 24 starts between Bieber and Clevenger alone. But when talking about the Indians you got to address the elephant in the room. How much longer is Lindor going to be part of the team? I think it's crazy thought that in a city that lost LeBron not once, but twice, you have a star in Francisco Lindor, a 26-year-old gold-glove shortstop who hits for average, who hits for power, who steals bases, and all while having a smile that's infectious? Instead of talking about trading him, we should be finding a way to post his image up on the Sherman and Williams wall. And not for nothing, he actually wants to be there. We have been to countless Indian games in the past years. Frankie is always the first guy over signing for the kids and the last to leave. He means so much to the city and to the state and just Indian fans in general. So to lose him in a year when we're not even allowed in the ballpark to see him dig out that 6-4-3 double play or make that clutch hit would just be an ugly feeling. But he's in the lineup tonight, so let's go Tribe. And what more can I say? We got the MLB back this week, NBA next week, and credit to Adam Silver and the NBA with zero positive tests since July 13th. We're going to get a season or at least eight games, then a postseason. So let me ask you, who do you like? I think it's wide open. Vegas has the Bucks and the Lakers as strong favorites, but I don't see it as that cut and dry. On paper, I believe the Clippers have the best roster top to bottom. And the Rockets are going to play small ball and are capable of running anybody out of the gym. The knock on Harden is that he runs out of gas in the postseason. But guess what? He's been off for four months and he's dropped 20 pounds. And you pair him with the Brody, who since January 1 leads the league in points in the paint at 21 per. That's why I think it's crazy that JR is saying the pressure is off LeBron's shoulders. I love you, Swish, but that's BS, bro. If he stayed in Cleveland, maybe, just maybe he could have rode that historic come-from-behind three-game deficit against the 73-9 Warriors until the wheels fell off. And I do believe that's going to be a Disney movie someday. But the truth is, he didn't. He chose to go to L.A. and put on that purple and gold. And with all the Laker greats that came before him and LeBron not getting any younger, if he doesn't win a title soon, his time in La La Land is going to be viewed as a colossal failure. Not to mention, they went out and got AD to give them that whole Kobe, Shaq, Magic, Kareem type dynamic. But I'm with you. I don't know who's going to win. And... 
that's what makes this even more exciting. I do believe that the Sixers could be a dark horse with all the changes they made, moving Ben to the wings, Jake Milton to the point, Al Horford to the bench. But then if Oladipo comes back and looks like the guy that took LeBron and the Cavs seven games, then who would want to play the Pacers? And then there's Jason Tatum, who I believe is going into the bubble a star, but he is leaving a superstar. Now, moving on to the part of the podcast where we switch gears a little bit and talk about something other than sports. And today, we're going to talk about the darker days. The early days of quarantine when there was no sports and ESPN had to scratch our itch in a variety of ways with E60s and 30 for 30 documentaries. I was just wondering, what was your favorite ESPN documentary shown early quarantine? First and foremost, how about the job Scott Van Pelt did on SportsCenter? In a world with no sports, dude hosted a sports show and absolutely killed it. Beautiful job by Scott Van Pelt, man. Bravo to him. But easy answer would be the 10-part docuseries, The Last Dance, which chronicled Michael Jordan and his Bulls teammates as they embarked on their last ride, the drive for six. The ratings were through the roof. It came at a perfect time. We were glued to our television sets for five straight weeks. It introduced Jordan's Bulls to a whole nother generation. But as a boy growing up in that era, I owned all the VHS tapes. I read all the books, the Jordan rules included. So a lot of this was not news to me. I heard about Horace Grant leaking all that stuff to the media. I knew about the Steve Kerr fight. I knew about the flu game, a.k.a. the poison pizza game. But just maybe, just maybe a hangover game. So I don't have an easy answer. Because when the last dance was over, ESPN came right back with a two-part 30 for 30 entitled Lance, about Lance Armstrong. And I'm not a cycling aficionado by any means. And if not for quarantine, I don't even know if I watched. But I'm glad I did. I was highly entertained. This was a guy who beat cancer, who was beating the French in their own game. His foundation helped millions. He was single-handedly going to stop doping in his sport. Dude was Captain America until he wasn't. I still don't know how to feel about Lance. He came off as such an arrogant creep. I was doping because everyone else was. But he is a cancer survivor whose foundation helped save so many lives. So what is he? Is he a saint? Or is he a sinner? I don't know. I guess it's like the end of Batman where Harvey Dent says, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become a villain. That's Lance Armstrong in a nutshell. Kudos to ESPN for pulling this off, man. You truly are the worldwide leader. My dad may not be able to give an easy answer, but I can. I 1000% say the last dance. I mean, Rodman took a break and went to Vegas during the season. MJ was giving tongue lashings to teammates, Scott Burrell, just to name one. Scottie Pippen was at his wits end with team general manager, Jerry Krause. At one point in the documentary, my little brother looks at me and says, hold up. MJ hit the coach of the Warriors, and my little brother is a Cavs fan, so let's just say he didn't look too upset about it. You may even say he had a devilish grin. And as for Phil Jackson, to deal with all those egos and different personalities and still win a championship, that's just a testament of how good of a coach he was. He was truly the Zen master. So I'm definitely going to have to say the last dance. Well, there you have it, people. I guess that's where generations clash. Be safe, everyone. Don't forget to wash your hands, social distance, and sanitize. And in the words of Diggable Planet, 
out. We out. We out.